Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Martin Costello. Martin has over 20 years sales experience in the equipment rental industry and has worked at companies such as National Hire, Coates Hire, Onsite Rental Group, and he's currently working at All Tracks Plant Hire, where he's helping t- trying to redefine and innovate the rental industry across the wet hire and dry hire. Martin, to kick things off, can you just talk a little bit about how you got into the hire and rental industry? Yeah, so I, I had another life before hire. Uh, I was in the packaging industry for about 20 years, and I tried going out on my own as everyone sometime in their life decides that they should go and work uh, for themselves. Uh, that was okay for a little while, and but then I needed to get back into a job. I thought I'll go into something completely different and went for a job at National Hire as a sales rep for their access division over at uh, Rose Hill. A couple of uh, people, uh, Greg Parfitt, that's still around in the industry. He was, um, he was uh, I think he was the MD at the time or general manager. And I was up against a couple of people that were in the hire industry and I didn't have any knowledge, but obviously had sales background. They decided to take a part and give me a go. And I remember uh, during the interview, um, I was told with hire, you'll either love it or you'll hate it. Um, so you'll either last a week or you'll, you won't be able to get it out of your blood. So it, it's been a latter and, and it's been mostly enjoyable. So that's, that's how I got into hire and uh, yeah, I've loved it pretty much ever since. So having two 20-year careers in two different industries, like what what were some of the reasons on why you wanted to join or why you stayed in the equipment rental industry? I just wanted to work somewhere where I felt I could enjoy and the people were good and they're all on the same boat. So Stephen, Stephen Donnelly was the owner of National Hire he, and he'd, he'd built a great feeling within the company when I went to Rose Hill. I mean, it was in the shed. You know, a site shed was their office and, you know, there's nothing glamorous about it, but everyone was really great. While I was sitting there waiting for the interview, it was really hectic. People were running around trying to organise things and I'm like, yeah, that, that's that's kind of what I like. I, I like to be busy and I like to see things moving and everyone was high-fiving and, you know, because they're obviously getting orders or business. And it was really great. I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I want, a, I want a piece of this. I don't know how long it's going to last. but So National Hire was a really great environment. It was at a time, I guess, where they you know, they didn't have a great deal of money to, to splash around. I think my first company vehicle had 360,000 kilometres on the, on the clock. And, but it was just a great atmosphere and people wanted to get things done and, and people wanted to work for Stephen Dolly. So, you know, once I got that feeling, I, I wanted the job. And it's funny because it was between me and a guy who's who's in the higher industry now who who works for Canada's actually. And he he did work for me on a couple of occasions. So he was the other candidate and he was from the higher industry. He was younger, but he had no sales experience, whereas I was older, had the sales experience, but no hiring. And a guy called David Fraser was making the decision. And David, uh, thankfully, decided to give me a go. That's quite amazing that you both went for the role and then you were successful. Thanks for David. And But then eventually you guys worked together in the future anyway. And I think it really, it talks a little bit about how closely connected the industry is as a whole. 
all still connected. So um, David Fraser, I think, is still at Cuts. So, you know, we, we don't talk as much as we used to, but end up going to his wedding and uh, becoming close friends. And, and Michael Hicks, the same, who was the other candidate, he's with a uh, Ken Arts division up in Newcastle. It's different, it's completely different to the packaging industry. And, you know, people do move around and they do stay close. And even though they end up being competitors, you still end up being friends. So. That is true. Because the industry is so close, you are going to make a lot of good friends along the way, whether they are at competitors or not. And it also is probably a testament to how loyal some people are in the industry and how long they've actually been in the industry. Yeah, well, I mean, you've probably heard the name uh, Jack King, um, who's with Couch. He's been there 42 years or something ridiculous. And um, we went to another guy's 40th birthday party and Jack King, he invited Jack King as well. And I was saying to the guy, you realise that Jack was working at Couch when you were born. Like an incredible concept to, to think that, um, you know, he, was, he would be there that long. It's still there, so. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that there's a few guys that I know of that are above 40 years, but anyone that can achieve that, it, it really is a testament to the, the dedication and the attractiveness of the higher mental industry. So talk to me about some of the roles that you've actually had. Um, yeah, so I went from sales, uh, sales rep to branch manager, actually. So I went to branch manager for that access division, um, so the branch manager, uh, David Fraser, left to start his own business, um, which is funny because I'd come from having my own business. Um, I'm, I basically took the job as branch manager because I didn't want someone else telling me what to do. So I'm like, well, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm the boss, then, then I run it. So I hadn't had an operations role. I was, at, I was again, asking for the opportunity, saying I can do this. Um, I was given a nine-month platform, I guess, of, uh, with key indicators of what I had to achieve over that nine months. Um, and eventually got the role. After about six months, I'd completed all KPIs. Uh, again, Greg Parfitt was my boss, and he said, yeah, take the role on. So I did that, and um, it was a great experience because I was dealing with a whole different bunch of people and technicians and learning the operations side of the business. You know, from there, there was the Colts National Higher Merger takeover, depending on which side of the fence you're sitting on. That took us into a whole new world from National Higher. And there we were basically just take the roles that I give them to you and you, when they combine, you're you know, going to be... So again, Greg got the job as a New South Wales um, State Manager or General Manager. I took a role as a product specialist for power, which between you and me, I knew nothing about power, except, you know, we all have it. So very lucky there to work with a guy called Doug Levings, who was the branch manager. Doug, again, still a personal friend after 20 years. He's still in power. Uh, I've sort of moved on a bit, but he taught me a lot about the products and a lot about having confidence in the people that support you. So we had a great group of people in the branch. He said, you just commit to it. I'll make it happen. So for a, for a sales guy, ideal situation where I could sit in front of a customer and be very confident that we could deliver what I was telling him. 
And I think that was the first time in my life where I had that confidence that um, I could do that. And we had a great team at that branch. Some of the branch, uh, the guys were also friends. Uh, it only lasted for maybe two, two and a half years before they changed what we were doing and I changed my role. And, but that was probably the best couple of years of my life in hire. We were achieving, we were bringing out new things. Um, everybody was involved. It was, uh, it was a really great time. Yeah, so having such a strong team or a strong bond with that team is probably part of the reason why you stuck around for a long time as well. And I'm sure those sort of people are going to be friends for life. All the people are still involved in hire, I think, that were in that team. But we were all gone separate ways. And uh, we, we all connect now and again and get together and maybe have a dinner or two. And Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been rather special. And... Um, we got some really, really good results because it was such a great team. You know, the focus, focus was on helping the customer and coming up with solutions. And because we enjoyed it so much, the results were that the, the revenue was fantastic and we were achieving so well that they took us away to work in other parts of the business. I went across to work as um, the sales manager for product specialists. Uh, had a about 14 direct reports of all various product specialists working in different branches. That, again, that was another challenge because there was uh, people in there that were very good at their product knowledge and we had to work with them on the sales and that's when they introduced the CRM, which all salespeople love, and getting technical people and people that are really good at one field to get competent at another was to, was a challenge, but yeah, that was uh, that was a different challenge. I had to challenge myself because you know I had uh, people far more technical than me reporting to me, and uh, I always find that as a manager of people, the hardest thing is to understand why people don't do the things the same way as you because they work for you and always work for everyone else. And I remember a sales trainer said to me that, you know, if it's a soccer team, you don't need 11 goalkeepers and you don't need 11 centre forwards. You know, you need someone to stop the goals, you need someone to score the goals. And that's where I learned that putting a team together is a whole bunch of different individuals to make them work together. And that's what teamwork's all about. It's not about finding a bunch of people that all think the same way. Um, so that was a really important lesson for me and one that I've taken from there. So. That's quite a good analogy, I think, to, to sort of explain the importance of a team. Yeah, it is. It is. I've, I've been very fortunate in my time to have some really good um, sales trainers. So one thing that I don't tell most people, when I was a young guy, I was very shy. And when I took a job in sales, it was really to help me in my life outside of work. I remember my father saying to me that when I told him I had a job in sales, so you realize you've got to talk to people. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's why I've taken the job because, so I just, I, I just read somewhere that if you talk to one person a day that you don't know and ask them about themselves, that they will respond. Nobody wants to know about you, but they're quite happy to tell you about them. So whereas before that I was, would be standing at a bus stop next to someone and not say anything. 
I started asking them questions like, are you off to work? You know, do you live close by? You know, all, all things to get them talking and tell you where they work. And you, you work out that they work with somebody you know. And that gave me a lot of confidence to, to go into sales. And I did, I did quite well. I was actually selling carpet was my first job. That's quite interesting because at such a young age to have the mindset to want to put yourself out there and try and improve your social skills, if you want to put it. like, like, how did that come about? Yeah, I, I sort of thought I was missing out on a lot because I was always the guy in the room that when I was a teenager and that, that people wouldn't know I was there, you know, like I could be at a function and people would say, oh, were you there? And I go, yeah, I was there. You know, so I, I didn't want to be the center of attention, but I just wanted the, the confidence to, to go up and talk to people. And, you know, when, when you're of that age, you don't know why you don't have the confidence, nothing happens. Um, it's just the way I was. So I used to do a lot of reading and I, and I, you know, I read that, um, well, I read two things. I read that the best paid people in the world were 100% commission salespeople. So I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty good. I could do that. But then I learned that I had to build rapport with people and talk to people, which I was, frankly, not very good at. Yeah, I, I guess without knowing it was self-improvement, because back in those days, of course, there was none of this, you know, uh, living well and well-being and, uh, but I knew that if I wanted to make my way in life, and my dad was a labourer, so he, he wasn't a, a university-educated person, but he certainly had street smarts. He was a, an Irish bricky. He used to say to me that if, you, if you've got an education, you'll go a long way. If you've got an education and you're very confident, you'll go even further. If you're confident, you'll go a long way. If you can combine the two together, there's no stopping you. So... Yeah, I had to learn to talk to people. So I thought the best way was to go into sales. I worked in a furniture store. I wore a suit and tie to work, which my dad thought was great because he was, as I say, a British labourer. I got paid £7 a fortnight for six days' work. And all my friends were working down the coal mines in Yorkshire and they were all earning quite good money. And I used to say to my dad, I can't even afford to buy a girl a drink. And he's like, that's good. You won't get into trouble that way. So, um, yeah, £7 a fortnight. So for, for today's kids, that's around about 14 bucks a fortnight I got paid. And I had to give my parents half. £7 a fortnight. That's, um, that's almost unbelievable. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. I'm, I'm sure you would have learned a lot of lessons along the way. But so it, I find it quite interesting that you put so much... Uh, maybe unintentional effort into sort of your personal growth. Was there other things that you did as well? Well, I did. Uh, I mean, I, I went off. Um, so I left home and um, I got the job in sales. I went off to France for a year. Uh, no mobile phones. I was 17. I'd read about a, a fruit picking, um, not a tour, but a route where you could work your way through the south of France picking fruit. So I went there and you applied by standing in a field and they would go, you, 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 and the rest would go away. And I did that for 12 months. I think I rang my mum once in 12 months. I was 18 when I went back. I had a great time, met great people. 
I don't know. I, certainly, my own children, I didn't recommend it for because you like to know what they're doing and there was no communication. And again, it was a time in my life where it shaped me for the rest of my life, I think. And it's probably two people from those times I still communicate with. You know, so that's over, well, it's a long time ago. I can't imagine today's parents letting their kids go to France with no mobile phone, let alone the kids going to France with no mobile phone and being forced to be off the grid. So so talk to me a little bit about All Tracks Plan Hire. It's uh, run by, uh, it's owned financially by a couple of people that back the business and they're fortunate enough to back some of us that have been in the hire industry to grow the business for them. They used to be contractors in, in hire. In sorry, in um, on the sites, and they decided to get out of that and move into to wet hire equipment, and now into dry hire equipment. I've been lucky enough to work with them uh, on growing their business as far as products, processes, and people. So all the skills I've learned from all the different hire companies over the years has put me in a place which is really positive, and I feel. Probably for the first time in my life, I, I feel that all those things I did with all the different hire companies and all the different jobs I didn't want to do have all come together to allow me to help these guys that want to grow the business and want to be substantial in the business. That it was all worthwhile and it all took a while to get here, but it feels like there was a, there was a, a point and a reason to get here. Uh, so there's things that happen every day and that I can relate to something that happened in my past to move us on to a new space, which is great. I hope a lot of people that are sort of getting into the industry that sort of struggle or think, what's the, like, why do I have to do the odd jobs or whatever it might be that's in the branch or the location can sort of hear that and understand that all those little things add up to helping grow this new business and, and you can sort of pass that on. So it's it's a really important point. So, so you mentioned that they've sort of picked a few key people in the industry to help grow the business. Like, how do they find you? So I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly prolific user of LinkedIn. I like to use it, you know, to put a bit of light and shade in the day into the company and to the people. And they contact me through there. They liked what they saw. They said, let's go not have a coffee, but have an evening meal. So we went had a meal uh, with the owners. We sat and we pretty much like this, talked about everything except a job. And at the end of it, they said, we, you know, we would like you to run our sales part of the business. They were quite open, telling me what they had and what they didn't have. I guess more importantly, what their vision was and where they wanted to be and how they wanted to make a difference and, and asking me what I thought of the, of the rental industry. And, and I guess that's why I, I like your podcast and the Rental Journal because the, the industry has been really bad at promoting itself. They've been really good at promoting themselves within themselves, I guess, which most industries do. But it's a great industry, but they don't promote it. And, you know, it's you know people out there looking for work and, and there's, there's so many different avenues you can take within the rental industry. There's so many different size companies that you can work with. And through this period where people need to get out and about and meet people and make things happen, it's really good to be a part of that. Uh, and I think they need to do more in promoting what they do. So, yeah, they approached me. We had dinner. Uh, we had a handshake. 
uh, very old-fashioned. Today, they've been true to their word. Everything that we talked about, they said, they don't question much. They question some things, but they don't question much. They just say, let's let's do it. And we're, we're what we're trying to do is be different. We are going to be totally wet and dry hire. Most of the rental businesses are one or the other. We're going we're gonna to put... Uh, equal emphasis on, on both parts of the business. We think there's some great synergies to be had there that haven't been taken advantage of. And we kind of, so when we sit around and we talk, the question we start always start the meeting with is what would Richard Branson do to our industry? Because it hasn't changed a great deal in 25 years. And we're like, what, what can we do to make it sexy, you know, to be different? And I think there's a long way to go. There's a lot to do. And you know, there's, there's been demise of a lot of good companies that have disappeared in takeovers and mergers. And, and, uh, and other people pop up and they start. And yeah, we, we need more of this sort of thing, I think. Well, that's the goal of the Rental Journal. It's, it's really just to promote the people and the industry itself and just try and get it out there as much as possible. So I, I really do appreciate your, your feedback. So you mentioned that you you want to be different. Uh, you want all tracks plan higher to, to have that competitive advantage and to change the industry a little bit. Can, can you just talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, I think what we're looking at now is every decision we make um, you know, about taking the business in a direction is what does that mean for the customer? Rather than what does it mean for the company? What does it mean for the profit? What does it mean? You know, we're, so the philosophy is at all tracks, if it doesn't positively affect the customer, we're not going to do it. You know, so we ask a lot of questions of our customers about our performance. Uh, and it's not just a generic customer survey. There's a real, so we have a couple of customers that we've asked, how do we perform? What do we need to do better? What can we fix? They've told us a couple of things and we've gone back to them and said, hey, we've implemented these two items that you discussed. And they're really impressed with that because they, they, they haven't had that in the past. I'm not saying no one has ever addressed things in, in a way, but we try and do it quick. We try and give the customers feedback. Even if we don't implement something, we will give them feedback that we actually had a meeting and here's the minutes of the meeting. This is what we discussed. We really appreciate your input. So we're trying to be part of them and then part of us and, and not separate and not, um, and not find our competitors. We try to network very strongly with, with other people in the higher industry rather than beating each other for a dollar. You know, it's really, it's really crazy. I mean, it's, you know, I often use the analogy of hire cars, which is, it's, it's seen in, in some surveys you see as part of our industry, but if you went into Hertz and said, look, I'm not using my car today because I'm not driving anywhere. Can you just knock off $34 for today? Well, I think you kind of know what response you get. Whereas we do it. You know, it's raining. I'm not driving anywhere. So, I mean, I don't know what the answer is to all these things, but I just know it's been the same thing for 25 years. We're all really good at getting a piece of gear, working with all the appropriate paperwork to your site for seven o'clock. We can all do that. So, you know, how, how do we, 
like I say, Richard Branson, he cut the corner off a credit card. He had a curved corner of a credit card as a point of difference. You're like, what? But it kind of worked. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And, and but, I, but I also think that technology is obviously playing a big part in providing that competitive advantage. And you guys being in the heavy equipment space, that's probably going to be a big big part of your business eventually, or it could be now. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, we, we only have Caterpillar equipment. So we have what's called the next-gen range, which is some really smart um, software in it where we can provide customers with information about how much earth they're moving, how quickly they're moving it. So when they're costing their next job, they've got a real handle, they've got a real amount of information that will help them make decisions and obviously make more money um, because they're able to cost it better. So that's from the machinery side of it. That, that's just getting better and better and better. Um, and that, that is an important part. But that's available to the guys that buy that machine as well as from the hiring industry. But we've got to look at what we can add on to that to make it better. No, we're always going to compete with people that are buying, you know, but and there's a reason they hire and, you know, we've just got to make those reasons more attractive and more apparent. That is true. Yeah, if you are buying from the OEM and your competitors are buying from the OEM, then you're going to have that similar technology potentially. And so it sounds like it's really, as you mentioned earlier, about focusing on the customer. And so, so what are some of the things that you're doing to sort of really ensure that you're providing that service? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we're looking at things like a series of um, you know, customer traffic lights that are on every one of our emails. How did we respond? You know, red, green, amber, like green for good, you know, red for not so good, and amber not too bad. And so we get a red signal straight away. You know, it's how we respond quickly. And I, I don't think we've sort of seen ourselves as a customer-friendly kind of industry. You know? you know, it's all this B2B or B2C or B2B or B2C. Well, they're all customers in the end. And we get sort of, you know, we, we we sort of get lost in all that and, you know, and, and what our competitors are doing. And I really like that. I like, especially what you said at the end there, not being too wrapped up in what our competitors are doing, but just stay focused on the customer, which I think is really important. So, so talk to me about, like how you define success and what you think potentially was a defining moment for you. I don't measure success in dollar terms. Not that dollars aren't important as far as either revenue or I think it's a really great question. It's a really great question because on a daily basis, being a sales guy, if I win a tender or a contract, I like, to consider that successful. I don't like to analyze why I've won it, but equally I like to analyze why I've lost something. Uh, and if I can get better at that, then that's a success. You know, if I look at currently with all tracks, we have a goal of so much equipment in, in so much time. So we achieve that, that, that will be a success. Personally now, I, um, I have mentored quite a number of people in the industry that have gone on to do extremely well. I get a lot of pride out of that and I consider that to be one of my my successes. So I don't know whether that directly answers your question, but uh, you know, I see that as my biggest success is, I guess, really the legacy that I, that I will leave to some people. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have some people that, 
that ring me and ask me for advice and you know, make a point of saying they've got where they got because of the mentoring that they've received, which is which is really gratifying. I, I kind of like that part of it. And what was the second part of the question? What do you think was a defining moment for you? Defining moment? I think probably when I joined Onsite as their state sales manager and we had a pretty terrific run and I was able to mould a pretty awesome team myself. And I think um, Onsite giving me the opportunity to do that was really, um, again, it was it, it set a lot of things in train that I'd, I'd been working on and thinking about for a long time and for the first time I was really allowed to do it because different from Carlton, it didn't have the defined structures around it that I had to work to. I had to set my own structures and set my own people. And we had, uh, I guess, five years of sustained success and increasing revenue. So, yeah, that was that was probably a defining moment that I, I learned a lot about myself from a work point of view, from a personal point of view. I, I like to write when I'm not working, um, as in novels and nonfiction. And uh, I was actually lucky enough to, to get the opportunity to be mentored by a published writer. And I thought what I'd written was absolutely fantastic. And I was very proud of it until he read it. And the amount of uh, grammatic errors and errors in storyline was so bad that we had to get together and talk for four or five hours, sort of straighten it out. So that was a defining moment in my personal life and, and told me that the minutiae of what you do is really, really important. It's not the big stuff that makes a difference. It's the little 1% stuff, which they talk about in sport, in sport all the time. But I think in life in general, and so at work, it's a little 1% stuff that makes a difference. It's like patting someone on the back when they got something out on time or done the right thing by a customer. When a customer tells you, you know, they dealt with 20 guys and they're really happy with their response. That's real success, I think. Those are some very wise words. The the one percenters. That's uh, clearly you, you have been a mentor for a lot of people and you would have passed this song, but you would have also been mentored by some pretty significant people by just the way that you're explaining things. So who were some people that were a big influence on you? Uh, well, Doug Lavings was a big part. He was uh, my branch manager at the Generator place I was talking about. Um, I kind of still talk to, um, to Doug now when I want some answers on on things. Or I want to, and I guess what's good about him is he, he just lets you talk out what you're thinking and you kind of work through it yourself, but he, he just allows you to do that and he'll, he'll always ring and see if what we talked about, if it worked or it didn't work. And so he, he's, he's been really, really good for me. I worked under Viv Canelli, who you mentioned earlier. Well, he, um, he taught me how to operate in a, in a larger corporate uh, sense. Um, and how to how to sort of weave my way through the maze to get what you need to get for you for yourself and your people. So he was great in that regard. So yeah, I think they were the two uh, two key ones um, that 
that stand out. But there's a whole bunch of people along the way that, you know, Greg Parfit I mentioned gave me, it's given me two or three opportunities in my life um, in hire, um, you know, which I've been really grateful for. So, um, and a couple he probably didn't have to, but he knew I could do the job for him. So, you know, he was very supportive. Uh, and so I'm always grateful for that. It's like any industry, there's a bunch of people out there that you can turn to and, and ring and, and, and talk things through. It, it's pretty amazing, really. It's great to hear that you still got those people that you can lean on and that obviously been a big influence on you. And, and obviously people are leaning on you as well. Uh, Karim from All Tracks Plan Hire, like he, he mentioned to me that you were someone that was a big influence in terms of being a mentor. And it's sort of just passing, passing on that knowledge. Yeah, I think I think that kind of is because like Karim, my mentoring at the moment, he's probably the next generation coming through, and he's he was um, mentored before me by a guy called Tony Armstrong, who unfortunately passed away in the, this year actually. Um, you know, so there's guys like him coming through that I think um, you know learning a lot from um, from the older people in the industry, and, and I think. Um, I think there's a lot of respect paid to those guys because um, they know, um, yeah, they've still got a lot to give. Yeah? Now, talking about the younger generation, if you were to give some advice to your younger self, what would you say? I would say just do it. Don't think too much about what the outcome may be. Just give it a go because, you know, the you learn something from it. It may not be where you end up, but you'll learn something from it, you know? And I, and I think that, because when we reflect on life, we say, we say, I wish I'd have done A instead of B, thinking that A would lead to a better outcome than B has. That's not mis- That's just romanticizing that, you know, you made the wrong decision and the other one would have been the right decision. So I, I would say don't think too much. I, I think the problem is it's too much thinking, you know, just do it. I know that's a logo of a, of a company, but I, I, I would tell myself, don't think too much about where it's going to end up. So I was in packaging for 20 years. I didn't think I'd have another 20 years in a completely different industry. Uh, I think there's a lot of people in life that end up nowhere near where they thought they were going to be. Um, so I was brought up in a small town in the north of England uh, which is a coal mining town, and, and growing up, probably thought that's what my life. So now I live in a place called Warramoo in the Blue Mountains. So if somebody had said to me back then, "That's this is where you're going to end up," you know, I would have didn't know where the place was to start with. But so you know, my advice to myself would be: don't think too much. If you think it, it, it's worth trying, try it. And the worst is you can learn something from it, which will hold you good stead in later life. Uh, yep, putting yourself out there. I think it's a really important trait and taking those risks and making those, those mistakes are eventually going to make you a better person. I still make mistakes. Even now, just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise about everything. And, uh, you know, the, um, but you do learn things and you learn from some really good people. And, and uh, I think the art is to acknowledge the people that, and I guess that's what this does, it acknowledges people that have, that have helped you along the way and, um, 
you know, there's, there's, there's probably, you know, when you say a turning point, I remember this is not in hire, but it was in packaging. But I remember one night being, I think I was in Italy. I was looking for somewhere to eat. I stopped this guy on the street who couldn't speak English. He was Russian. I couldn't speak Russian. We went to dinner in an Italian restaurant. The Italian waiter couldn't speak Russian or English. And we had a great night. And it was because it was all drawing pictures on napkins and it was, you know, we were laughing, we were having conversations without talking. And uh, that was a real turning point in communicating with people that like you didn't need necessarily to speak the same language to, to get along. So... Now, I've used that analogy, um, you know, lots of times in life to sort of say, you know, uh, anything's possible. So I don't know. I might have got ripped off by the way. They were paid a lot more than they should have paid. And who knows what we ate and, you know, um, don't even know what happened to the... I think he was just a truck driver, you know, the Russian guy. So, um, yeah, great experience. So. Well, Martin, I've, I've really enjoyed this discussion and I, I do thank you for taking the time to talk with the Rental Journal. Uh, no, not really. I appreciate your, your time taking the time to talk to me. So. But I hope you can succeed in, in promoting the industry. Please follow and share the Rental Journal podcast and I hope to see everyone in the next episode. <laughs>